Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. to a, another coronavirus episode of Buker and Friends, part of the United WeCast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1. You can hear me on Fox Sports Radio. And I know I've been saying this, but you will be able to read me someplace soon. I promise. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buker. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. And it is my great pleasure to uh, introduce my guest today, Mandy Cohen, longtime producer for ESPN. And we were having a conversation the other day because we've known each other for quite some time, and it just got me to thinking about how much we've seen change in sports and... Uh, Mandy is one of those people that is behind the scenes making all of it work together and making people like me who's in front of the camera look really good and smart. But they have to tackle all of the problems that come up to make the product that you see on your screen actually come off. And so with that, I thought a conversation about everything that's going on in the world today with sports in general would be great. So Mandy, with all that, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I'm really excited about uh, just having this chance to just chop it up and talk about some of these things that I know are top of mind for you. Great. Well, I'm so excited to be here and it'll be much easier than making you look good on TV. (laughs) (laughs) And that that is why I love Mandy Cohen. Uh, So um, I want to start here just because people... I've seen your work, but they didn't know it was your work. So mm-hmm. when you look at your long career and, and everything that you've done, are there things that you did or participated in in particular that you take great satisfaction out of? 
Yes, I, I think on fortunately or unfortunately, I like to say my career started with a bang and may have been all downhill from there uh, because my first job, uh, luckily enough, uh, my first paying job was with WGN in Chicago doing the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Cubs. And I got lucky enough to jump on um, both with Harry Carey and the Cubs, which was just a crazy fun experience. And then on the other side of that, to travel for the eight years of the six championships with the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan was just something, you know, I don't know there's a better way you could start a career. So I always go there first because both of those two experiences shaped how I look at things and shaped how I do TV and how I interact with people. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were two very unique experiences. So I feel very fortunate for those. So with that in mind, with The Last Dance, because this was very controversial in terms of People thinking that Michael Jordan basically, by the way, just want to let everybody know, you know, yeah, I know that uh, LeBron just uh, just won another championship and everybody's talking about him the greatest. You, like you lived it, you know, you were yeah. there. And so a lot of what we saw as video, and I and I was there, I was there too. So I, it was interesting to me, but you really had a front row seat every day for it. Um, what did you think of The Last Dance? So I I love The Last Dance. It was a super interesting trip down memory lane for me. Um, I did drive my husband absolutely crazy because every few minutes, oh, I was on that plane. Oh, I was on that bus. Oh, I was in that practice. Oh, I'm just off camera right there. I was right there for that. He's like, okay, can we just watch? I'm like, I'm sorry. So, um, and then he would turn around and go, is that what really happened? I'm like, oh, now you want to know. All right. So, Yes, it was a surreal experience, I think, to yeah. watch it all laid out and uh, knowing what really happened, what people were saying now, yes. and stuff like that was yes. a fascinating um, exploration. Uh, I think they did a great job. Some of the footage was incredible. Um, I remember the camera crews being around that last year, um, but nobody having unearthed all of that for so long, like it just was insane. Yeah. So um, I think they did a tremendous job. The, the, all of the perspectives they got were great. Um, the only thing I wish they had done was involved a little bit more of the local people who were around more. So mm. all of the people you saw were national broadcasters and national writers and stuff right. like that. There were a lot of the, the Wayne Larrabees of the world, the Dan Rones of the world that traveled and were around it intimately as well and would have had a little bit of a different perspective. How much do you think that this was shaped by Michael and what he, like the perception that he wanted, even even in terms of like, you know, say the use of a guy like David Aldridge, for example, as, you know, being a big, prominent part of it. Like, I just felt like it was very hand-picked in a particular way. no doubt about it. And if I ever see him again, I've got a bone to pick with him because I did an hour and a half interview for them and he didn't use any of it. And I am certain that he had 100% everything to do with what was there. So I will give him some guff about that if I see him again. But yes, he's he's no dummy. He's always controlled his message. Um, And and to his credit, he's done a great job with it. So, um, you know, yes, I'm certain he had quite a bit of say in what went on and how they shaped it. And as a small example, like David, David, who I, we both know from from ESPN days, is great. Was great, I thought, in in the Last Dance. But he's he's based in DC. So is David Falk, who is Michael's longtime, and I know that relationship there. So 
in much the same way you had Jim Gray handpicked for the decision, yep. this was very much the same thing, which is, I, you know, I, I, for me, I didn't mind because I did appreciate everyone being reminded of just how good Michael Jordan was. Like yeah. all the comparisons to, di- to today, too many of them rely on statistics. And my whole point was like, everybody watched The Last Dance and went, oh, wait a minute. We, we, <laughs> we need to stop talking about this all-time greatest yeah. comparison yeah. stuff because nobody did it every day the way that he did it through that in that, that entire run. It just there's no comparison for me. I've never met a more singularly focused person in my life on anything in yeah. in any aspect of my life. Um and I've met like you have millions of athletes, millions of coaches, successful ones. Of, yes, 100%. I I worked with LeBron quite a bit. I've worked with Kobe quite a bit. Yep. So, you know, knowing both of them, uh love them dearly, but to me nobody holds a candle to Michael. Nobody. Yeah. And that's from an inside perspective too, when I start to argue with people mm-hmm. to see him in practice every single day and to practice what he preaches. Mm-hmm. So he can scream at you yep. because he's in there yep. and he's doing it. So he's yep. not yelling from afar, like you should work harder. Right. He's saying we all need to work harder. Right. So he, his, his work ethic is something I took with me, you know, just, it was incredible to watch. Incredible. Insane when I think about because I think we both know being around like we know how much he liked to play cards and stay up and like I, I don't know how he generated the energy to play the way he did knowing that he was like and, and it wasn't like you know he was partying hard or anything it wasn't the Rodman thing but it was just right. like he just never slept he no. was always doing something and that that I still to this day find incredible that that he could do that when i am uh down on my competitive spirit or need a little push i think of him and say what would michael do and then it's like okay i can hear his voice you know come on that's crap get let's go that's a great and uh, and it's motivating yeah so i'm gonna start I, i gave you a list of things that i wanted to delve into and then you obviously you you gave me back one that i'm gonna start with because okay uh because i think it's so prevalent in today's certainly with the nba but i think across the board with sports which is you know we're both uh in the tv business and there's a whole generation of sports fans who aren't watching TV or that's not their, that's not their go-to. Uh, my, my kids being, being right there. I mean, I'm watching it firsthand. Yep. My son was just having breakfast, watching his phone. My daughter was just coming down, making breakfast, talking to her friend on her phone, FaceTiming with her friend. So what is, what is the great challenge or yeah, what's the great challenge in connecting with, sports fans working in a TV medium when TV is not their natural uh, way they consume sports. Yeah, well, I'll give you a quick story from this household. Um, we had our, like, I canceled DirecTV and we went four months before anyone noticed. Really? Four months. So what were yeah. you what were you watching and what were you doing? Because I've thought about doing that and I, yeah. I, like, four I've had the scissor like, out to cut the cord and then I yeah. like, I can't. It was incredible. At one point, 
I'd have to think of what sport it was, but my husband was like, hey, can we watch whatever? I, I'm, I don't, what's going on with the TV? I'm like, yeah, it's been four months. <laughs> so, and then same thing with my daughter. She's like, four months for what? Like, didn't she, it didn't even occur to her. She does not go to the television for content at all. The only time she turns it on is to stream something from her phone to make it a little bit bigger. Or yeah. because I've told her enough device time and she's decided that the TV is not actually a device. So, um, <laughs> and that streaming her device to the television then counts as not being on a device. Right. So yes, there is a, an incredible difference in the way they consume uh, media. Yeah. And one of the other things that just struck me recently is, you know, I was putting my resume together for something and it said, you know, I haven't done that and I don't know how long. So I look up online, what's the, you know, resume process in 2020 type of thing. And it said, whatever you do, make sure your resume can be read on a phone because 70% of the time, that is the first place someone's going to see it. Wow. wow. So that's incredible. And I think about how I operate and I'm yeah. old, but I still do a lot on my phone first, sure. right? And there are times when I'm like, oh, I need my computer or my iPad to be a little bit bigger because my eyes are bad. But that's the only reason yeah. I could see it. I would do it on the phone. Yeah. So it actually got me thinking about this next generation and how we have to engage them. And I think it's all through uh, another device, something that's with them all the time. Um, and it's also the shorter stints. I mean, look at the TikTok and all that. You know, I don't, it's very hard for me to understand how my daughter can watch TikTok videos all afternoon. They're short, they seem meaningless to me, but she, she loves it. So where does sports fit into that? And how do you yeah. get people, you know, I started thinking about how do you take your games and make them more watchable on a device that small? Yeah. And, and, and will people watch games? I mean, that to me is the heart of it. And, and I know that the NBA owners are having the same question. They, they look at their popularity of the league on social media, which is greater than ever. They, they own more of the sports land, landscape on a 365-day basis mm -hmm. than they ever have. But how do you monetize that? Because so much of it is through social media and things that they can, that do, do not generate revenue f from. And they're trying to figure out how, how they put their arms around that. So ESPN being one of the broadcast partners, like how, how do you go about like utilizing the popularity on social media and making that a, a moneymaker, not, not only for the league, but for, but for the broadcast partners? Right. Well, it's uh, to me, it's a matter of also making a connection with this next generation. I don't know that they have that connection. My father and I used to sit down and Sundays were reserved for watching the Dolphins play football. Hmm. And nothing else came in the way of that. We made popcorn. It was a big ordeal. And it was daddy-daughter time. And that's what we did. And on the, uh, Sundays they were home, we went to the games. So I was personally invested in my team and personally invested in the time with my father. So I don't know that I see that in this next generation because everyone's on their own device. Yeah. So figuring out how to, how to, how to give the connection to begin with, because I don't think like you, ha these days kids have a connection with LeBron. Yep. They have a connection with a particular player. Yep. So they follow them on social media. Yep. Right. But the, but the team is not, where they're at, especially when these guys move around the way that they do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're a LeBron fan, like my, my mom loves Dwayne Wade. She's just a Dwayne Wade fan and she doesn't care where he is. 
right? Mm-hmm. So he started with her in Miami because she lives there. So, fi- but she she has followed him wherever he has gone. So oh, he's dropped the heat because she doesn't, you know, like it doesn't matter to her. She even followed him to Cleveland. Yeah. So, oh. So like to Chicago, I understand, but yeah. Cleveland. She's just a Dwayne Wade fan. So so how do you how do you change that? Right. Mm. So it's your the connection is no longer. I didn't care who it was. I was a Miami Dolphins fan. Yeah. So whoever came in, it was all good. And whoever left, I was done with them. Mm. Right. Because they they were a traitor. So now that's not the case. Yeah. Now you're you're going with your social media people. Right. So you're following LeBron. Doesn't matter where he is. So that's the connection that needs to get done. And whether that's at a league level or an ESPN level, I think there's there's a. We're, we're too wrapped up in the team connection that yes. we try to have. Yes. And that's no longer necessary, especially the way people move around too. Yes, yes. So figuring that out, I think is going to be the key. Yeah. it's and, and I can only see where it would empower the players even more because it's really their individual. Like I, I think of my son. My son in, in some ways is a throwback. He's a big Damian Lillard fan. Mm-hmm. And he's a big Damian Lillard fan because... He's from Oakland. We live in the Bay Area. Um, he went to a mid-major. He likes that kind of underdog story, and and he and he and he follows the Blazers. But it's because of Damian more than anything else. And Damian right. just happens to be one of those rare players who I don't I don't see ever playing for anybody else. You know, right. he's the only guy I can think of in the current right. generation that might do that. Um, so, but there is like. If he ever moved, if he, Damien went someplace else, He'd no doubt, ahead. no yeah. doubt he would too. Yeah. So um, we, we're not probably going to figure that solution out on, on this podcast. Um, but I, there is another aspect um, which crosses, I think, all generations. And that's the introduction of betting and gambling in sports, which for us who've been in the business for a while, like, you know, when, when, you know, a broadcaster, you could tell would drop, you know, that they were aware of what the line was, uh, Mr. Musburger, uh, what? you know, it, it would be like, a lo- oh, can you, I, you know, it was, it was verboten. Like you didn't do yeah. that. Right. No, it, no. That was very dangerous. And now it's being embraced like full fledged. Um, how is that for you in producing events and and having that sudden shift? Super weird. So when we started to put together the XFL coverage for ESPN, uh, when that was starting, they were all in on that. So our bosses said, okay, this is going to be a top priority, you know, da-da-da, make sure we have this and that and the betting lines and the, you know, all this stuff. And, and it was... Um, the prop bets and the, and I'm like, wow, okay. I have no idea what you're talking about. None whatsoever. So I get on a website at home and I'm trying to learn about betting. And my husband comes in and he's like, well, uh, what, are you, what are you doing? Do I need to be worried about our college fund? Like what is going on over there? And I was like, yeah. I don't know. I'm supposed to produce and everything is supposed to relate back to betting all of a sudden. And I have no idea what I'm doing. And he's like, okay, all right. All right. And he goes, don't look at me. I don't know what I'm doing either. And I'm like, okay, so I did a lot of studying and then I had to figure out how that would fit into the broadcast and how serious were the bosses about bringing it into the broadcast. Cause you can say something and then like you can overdo it. And then people are like, oh my God, we didn't say do that. Yeah. Um, but they were all in. So 
my producer checklist was super bizarre. It was, you know, normally you're like, all right, we've got the open, all the elements for the open are good. Blah, blah, blah. And in, when I started to do the XFL, it was, all right, who's got the opening line? Have they closed the opening line yet? Make sure we get that in the second we get on the air because the kickoff, it's got to be good and it better be right. And then, you know, and then where's our prop bet, guys? We're the most interesting prop bets. Let's make sure we have all that organized. And then to take it even further, every time the score changed, you know, it was, okay, update the line. Where are we? Mm-hmm. And then the, like, the guy that scored, I'm like, was he one of our prop bets? He might be getting close to his over-under. We better, we better show that, right? Yeah. Or even just a 10-yard run. And you're like, hey, that guy, he's 10 yards away from his prop bet. So that part was so freaky weird to me because yeah. it was like almost like a whole other set of statistics sure. that mattered probably to more to people. Yeah than just your regular sure. statistics. Because they had an investment. They had a, literally, yeah. they had an investment in it. I wonder, what what did you see going by the boards? What did, what, what was what fell by the wayside in order to introduce all of that information? Um, Probably a little of everything here and there, right? So at the time when you're talking about what the opening line is, we might have been giving you a little bit more backstory to the quarterback, right? Okay maybe something like that touchdown uh, rather than giving you um, the quarterback statistics. We're going to the guy with the profit. Okay. Right. And maybe it's a defender, you know, and there's something there too. I don't know. So you're, you're altering your thinking because there's a pattern to producing sports, right? Touchdown uh, reaction shots, Hmm. replays of the touchdown statistic of the touchdown and, and where it fits within the game, within the season, you know, all of that stuff in the personal stats. And instead you're immediately going, okay, forget the replays, get me the updated line. Where's the prop bet. If it was at a prop bet guy. Okay. No. All right. Let's do a replay. It was, all right, you're updating. Let's do the replay. Then we'll do the prop bet. You know, so it, it definitely altered, uh, some of the ways that you're looking at it in terms of instead of a team stat, you're giving the individual uh, stats for the people who, you know, did the prop bets. So yeah. it definitely had some stuff changing um, and it took a while to get used to that being important. And if you didn't do it, you were getting a text. Where's yeah. the line? Yeah. Get yeah. the line in there. You're like, ah, damn it. <laughs> Is, and considering like it was so that like, foreign like it was exact opposite you would never dream of doing anything like that you didn't want anything to slip out that people were thinking about that yep it's so i i find that that whole aspect of it's just a matter of perspective what's hot what's not in determining what we find acceptable and what we don't it's 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 crazy that way speaking of which and and this is kind of a new thing but i wonder has has that the introduction of all that changed the relationship with athletes and the teams that you cover as a result of that um and i know going back to like your wgn days and being around the bulls at that time and i and i i saw a clip of you retelling a a story about scotty and michael coming out seeing a couple of kids and just informally playing pickup with them and it not being exposed and i like that's that's the thing that i miss the most about where we are with sports today is that it used to be able to, you you could cultivate these real relationships and there was a code there was an understanding of like you got to see behind the scenes but there was an understanding that you didn't throw everything out there in order to exploit it and and those days are gone and so as a result it's become so much more protected and i miss that i i just yeah. i i really miss that but 
I wonder with the way that things have changed to this point, how how much has it influenced or what, what change do you see in your relationship with the people that you're you're covering? I, I think what's fascinating to me about it is that, and I think what made The Last Dance so interesting is that none of that was public, right? Like all that behind the scenes stuff, you didn't see them in the locker room. You didn't see any of that. You barely saw their entry into the arena, mm-hmm. you know? And now you have the players themselves posting what they had for breakfast, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So what's interesting about it is it's not us exposing things, like the media exposing what the player's doing behind the scenes. They're exposing it themselves. Mm-hmm. Like So they're also controlling the message, which I'm sure they like. Um, and all of it nowadays is about brand. So how are you influencing your own brand? Mm. Look at Steph Curry just last week, you know, getting a whole new deal. So, you know, there's a huge... Oh, He's falling. Sorry. He's um. There's a huge amount of uh, brand building that goes into it that I don't think was a consideration back then at all. And so back then it was more about your privacy and um, having things be a little bit more mysterious, if you will. Now no. nobody had a cell phone. There was no opportunity to, you know, like if you take that story I told about those kids playing pickup ball with Jordan and Pippin. Nowadays, there seventeen people would have recorded it. Yeah, yep. And it would have been out there. So there yep. wasn't even that opportunity. All yep. we could do was watch and yep. think about what a pure moment it was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. So you know, I wish that there could be a moment like that where even now people would go, you know what? Let's just let that lie. You know, like that. That's a moment that is so pure and wonderful. And and they did it not because they knew it would get recorded and put out. Right. They just did it because they were like. God, there's two kids like we yeah. were them one day. Yeah. You know, let's just go make their day. Yep. Yeah. No, and, that's that's spontaneity. Wanting to beat them, but yeah. other than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair point. By the way, I have to say that as a as a TV pr- producer, an accomplished TV producer, the fact that we're doing this and whatever it is that I'm seeing, whatever device that I'm seeing you through, that that you just dropped it is, I'm I thinking. If there was any one person that should know how to do this. It's really bad. It's so bad. And now I can't even get it right. My head is all cut off. I hope you're not going to show me again. No, no, no. no. I'm not, I'm not worried about the video aspect of this. Um, it's so bad. It's, but uh, I talked it, all the way through it, so I should give some credit for that. <laughs> Fair <laughs> I'm enough. I'm lucky my cat hasn't walked through here at some point. <laughs> uh, I've done a few of those. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, yeah. The, uh, you mentioned the XFL and being part of that. And I, uh, I worked with them too, uh, sort of consulting on some things. And... I um we when we talked about this a little bit uh off off air is just I was struck at like they really had something you know I really believed in what they had and I thought that this was a passion project for Vince McMahon 
and and I liked what they started. So to see it, see them pull the plug as abruptly as they did, it still shocks me to to no end. And I I wonder what your experience was in coming into that, and uh, you know, wanting to be a part of it or trepidation, and then what you found once you got there. Well, I can tell you this: there was zero trepidation on my part. I begged to be on it. Um, I, I absolutely love the idea of starting something new, um, and, uh, thought that the project and the idea of the way they wanted to present, uh, their product was amazing. So the access that we were given was just groundbreaking. And, you know, at first you're like, wow, I just, this will be so interesting to hear. And we went to these rehearsals in uh, Houston to start the season and the biggest thing that I wanted to do was listen in to all the coaches' audio, which they were going to allow us to do. So I've been around football for years. Yeah. Um, I've never heard inside a headset, a football headset before. So I was curious as a football geek to, to hear what was going on in there. So I went into the truck while the other um, show was doing a game, put headphones on, had a panel in front of me of 10 different um, audio feeds, and I couldn't get enough. I, and, and people were like, seriously, you're so dorky right now. And I'm like, oh, my God, did you hear that? Did you, oh, my God, the, the offensive line coach just said this. And the defensive coordinator just chewed out the whatever. And, like, yeah. it was just so much fun. And I said to myself, I cannot wait to bring this home to people. They, if I like it, they're going to find it just super interesting. Yeah. So spending the time figuring out how to do that so yeah. that the fan at home got a glimpse uh, you know, behind the curtain was so much fun. And it was the most chaotic broadcast I have ever been a part of. Uh, the director, Bob Federally and I, when we would end a broadcast, we would look at each other and just go, oh my God, what just happened? <laughs> like it was an absolute constant hmm. for, you know, three straight hours, hmm. which, you know, football is hard enough, but then you add in the ability to listen in soon as the play is over, you got to get over there. Some yep. of those offensive coordinators are making a call within seconds. So learning the cadence of all of that and listening in uh, to some of the things that were happening and then starting to realize the drama that goes on that is so fascinating and so um, reality TV-like. Yeah. You know, we started to come into each week going, all right, where's it coming from this week? Like, where's the drama? Where's the conflict? Where's the, you know, it's not just win or lose or, you know, guys, everybody has a backstory and all of that is great. How does the backstory manifest itself out on the field? Yeah. And listening to that go on and quarterbacks and receivers yelling at each other and, you know, um, and then coming back to apologize for it. Like, it, it just, the humanity of it was yeah. so fascinating. And uh, I haven't had that much fun uh, doing sports in uh, like almost all of my 30 years. I mean, it was, it was really fun. How much would you give to have had that access to when Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator of the jets called the zero coverage on that last yeah. play that ends up with the Raiders winning, like to hear yeah. all of the, the, yeah. the dialogue. Yeah. You got a taste of it from NFL films. If you're old enough to remember those awesome shows, which I gobbled up mm -hmm. from my childhood all the way through. Um, but that was so after the fact, right? Like the Philly special, that was fantastic stuff afterwards. Can you imagine if you heard that conversation between them live Yeah. and to be pretty to what's coming like insane. It gives you, it gives the viewer an extra second to process 
and then be able to watch what's going on. Yeah. It's it's the you know it's the answers to the test. Yeah. So um, it it just is amazing. And I I, I heard um, some of the network broadcasts. You know they're doing a little bit of that audio now to help enhance the no crowd situation on the NFL. And people were like, oh, did you hear the quarterback calling plays at the line? And I'm like. What? The NFL <laughs> was doing that 10 times better yeah, yeah. Than, than this. That's nothing. Yeah. So uh, I know the new owners are uh, going to be great. They they get that. They get the storytelling. And I, I hope that when they come back in 2022, it's even better. Well, considering that The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, knows how to produce and what is captivating when it comes to just entertainment in general, I have the fullest confidence that they're going to figure out a way to exploit everything that the XFL set up. Um, did you did you have any interaction with Vince McMahon? Uh, you know, he was not around. I I, uh, I had a very good relationship with his son Shane, who was around quite a bit okay. uh, and seemed like he took quite a bit of the reins of um, overseeing the league. So, uh, and they were they were great too. They understand storytelling and you know, all of the drama and all of that stuff, the reality TV of it uh, as well. So, you know, right from them all the way down, Oliver Luck was amazing at getting all the football people to buy in to that stuff, which was, you know, huge. So um, I was hoping that it would serve as an example to other leagues that you can do this um, and that it can be an asset to everybody, uh, you know, and, and engage fans more than you know, you, we talked about how to engage the next generation, you know, even if you're just putting snippets out later of that audio, that's more access and shorter clips that you then run on your phone and engage people. And perhaps they turn the full game on next time. So you told me about a, uh, a room that was built. Um, can you, can you, can you divulge that? Can you share that? Like, well, so it's interesting because I never had one. They never actually did it for us. Um, But I I had heard that when Vince wants to be part of a show or a broadcast or whatever um, situation, he has a room built for himself so that he can communicate with everybody uh, within the, you know, radius and the truck and the talent and all that and uh, and be able to sort of uh, input, if you will, um, which I was actually looking forward to. I thought it would be super fun to have his input. Uh, To me, there's never too many voices if you have a creative process going. So I would have liked to have tried it. I never got the opportunity, but uh, he can be, from what I hear, he can be very hands-on. That's, I've, I've heard the same. That's I was curious whether you'd had any, any interaction with him. And is this like, so this would be like a truck oh, that, that would be on site that would be specifically designed for I him with they, all the technology? I think they just designed a room whether it was another truck or not i don't think it got okay. it was necessary to do that because i okay. think you could pull all of that equipment i've had plenty of executives have you know like mini control rooms gotcha. uh, in a green room type setting gotcha. um, because you don't need any functionality to go directly to air it's right. not that hard to set up right so okay all right um what uh what do you think that the xfl's legacy its biggest legacy is going to be this this short truncated thing uh mm-hmm. what is it i i feel like it's going to have a big impact moving forward because i feel like they pulled the pulled back the curtain on a few things that a lot of people are going to adopt but you were you were ground zero what what do you think is going to be its lasting effect so 
I hope, what I hope and what may be might be different, but I really love their commitment to safer football mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. some of the things that they were doing. Um, you know, as a mom, sometimes watching football is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like to see safety implications across the board because it always trickles down to high school, right, at, at some point. Right. So making the game safer, the kickoffs, you know, some of the rules that they put in were fantastic. Um, and took a little time to get used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you can make the game safer, you should do everything you can to make yeah. the game safer. Um, and they were interesting. It wasn't like you were making the game less interesting by doing that. I think some of the rules they came up with were amazing. Yep. So to, to make that a lasting legacy and to hope that other leagues are big enough to say that the ideas are good and let's adopt them um, will be great. I think there's also... Um, the idea that there's room for more football. Uh, I think this country loves its football. And if you can have a league that is good football plus good entertainment and a little bit more open than other leagues, Hmm. I won't name them, um, (laughs) that I think people will really enjoy that. And that may off, like that may be what ends up connecting to the next generation because transforming the status quo is hard for some of these leagues. I mean, yeah. all of them, really. You know, so if you ask me, Adam Silver's the best at it. Um, but, you know, Major League Baseball, they just can't do it. I, you know, it's... I don't even, like, it leaves me speechless sometimes how old school they think they have to be. Yeah. So if you can't change with the times and get with, you know, what the kids want, as they like to say, right. you know, it's going to be a problem. And I think that hopefully this next iteration of it will do you know take what the xfl started and carry that forward for the next generation to have a sport that they can buy into and be comfortable with yeah i'd be interested to find out if the the drama and the soap opera that is occurring behind the scenes during the course of a game when it comes to play calling and personnel and all those conversations how that would would that be appealing to the new generation in one respect i think it would be because i know how appealing drama just general drama is to my kids like how they eat that up and at the same time they have a very acute uh opinion on what is corny or like not worth their yeah. time and what is truly right. captivating. And I don't always well, know that. I think, I think the key word is authentic, right? Mm. So if it's authentic drama, mm. then it's good. And that's true of anything, right? So I've taken a lot of writing classes because as you know, having worked with me, I truly believe that sports is presenting drama and that you have to understand conflict and how to bring home a story to people um, when you're doing sports, it isn't just the X's and O's because there's a actually a very small bit of the population that really is that hardcore. Yeah. And I always joke, you've got them anyway. They don't care what you're doing. They're going to watch. Right. So you're actually trying to draw in people with a good story. Right. And so what is that good story? So if the drama is authentic, a good movie is written in an authentic way, right? So you have to stay true to the world. You have to stay true to the story. And if it really comes from live audio, 
it's authentic drama. Mm -hmm. You know, those guys are not out there. I, I don't think out there hanging up on their offensive coordinator. Yep. They're not thinking that way. That's not affected. It is a true authentic response. Not to go too far afield and I'm, I'm circling back, but that to me is the essence of why Michael Jordan's legacy and his popularity are so enduring and that Kobe and LeBron for all of their accomplishments will always be a step below because Kobe at one point was really mirroring Michael whether he would admit it or not he was mm -hmm. and I think he came to a place of authenticity but it took him a while to get there and this is what I, and I wrestle with this, and I, I talk a lot about it on the podcast a lot, as we all do in sports. But LeBron is the most fascinating subject for me because I look at all that he's accomplished, and I look in general at him as a person, and I think that should be easy to root for, right? And yet there's, there's this inauthenticity about so many things that he does that just seem contrived that I think people pick up on and and I struggle with that because I think you're bigger than you're better than that like don't do that to yourself I don't know why you do that right but he does I can't take I mean he does and I can't well, take that he's away a, he's a corporation right I mean he's Michael was not that wasn't going on back then yeah. you you yes you had your brand yes all of that but you know for Kobe it was be like Mike Yep. Right. I mean, so that's what he did. You want to be great. You be like Mike. Right. So and LeBron had a little bit of that, too. But but they've all been steered now to a corporate like you are a brand. Mm. So he he is his own corporation. So, of course, there's going to be some uh, inauthenticity, if you will, mm. because he doesn't really control all of it. Mm. And that's that's the sad part of it. And it's totally understandable because that's his livelihood yeah. and he's trying to make the most of it. Um, Michael didn't have to do that. So there, there was, people didn't really, he's probably the first one who even headed that direction with his shoes, yeah. right? But it wasn't a full on brand and he didn't care. You right. either liked him or you didn't. That, so, that was it. I mean, that to me is still it. It was, that wasn't the driving ambition of Michael Jordan. And I'll never forget LeBron's first thing was I wasn't I want to be the greatest player ever. It well, I don't why you know it wasn't I want to win the most championships is I want to be the first billion dollar athlete. That yep. was his thing, and and yep. and I don't fault him for that. But it's like yep. you made that your target. That's a different target than what sports fans are used to hearing. You are now a commerce god, yeah. legend, yeah. Yeah. not necessarily a sports legend. It's a, there's a, there's a great yeah, distinction there. It's more complicated too. Yes. Because yes. Jordan got to be himself. Right. Right. So, well, and, and LeBron has not afforded that. Yeah. He could, I, I mean, at, now he could, he, yeah. if he wanted to, but, but he's built his brand and building a brand, you know, you're, you have to decide how you want to put yourself forth. And, and that was, I don't think that was ever presented to Michael. Right. Well, I still think, you know, I still think there was, a, a major mistake by LeBron by not understanding what his brand was when he was in Cleveland for, for the first time. 
that what made him so popular and endearing was that he was the kid from Akron playing for the hometown team from a downtrodden little city next to the downtrodden city that had all the downtrodden teams and sports history. And here was a guy that might just bring them glory. And and that is the great movie. Yes. That's yes. the great story. And, That's the authentic story. Right. And if he had won, I've always said, like if he had just won the one championship in Cleveland and never left, he would be untouchable. But when he left from my, and of all places, Miami, like the, yeah. the epicenter of glitz and glamour and opposite of what Cleveland is. And inauthenticity. Yes. And I'm from there, so I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was just like, oh, you're not who we were led to believe you were. And, and, it, and I just think at that point, he was never going to be the same for him. Well, and, you know, Jordan and Kobe, for that matter, you know, you, basically like anyone who is a fan of Michael Jordan, I don't count the Washington years. So he basically stayed yes. in Chicago for all the meaningful part of his career. Yeah. So he was there for all of it. Right. And and same thing with Kobe. He stayed, you know, in L.A. for all of his career. So, you know, there's a huge difference because of if you go back to what we talked about before, there are some people who you're going to upset when you leave. You know, and it changes the story because you aren't sticking it out. And uh, so you, if you're OK with that, and a lot of people are OK with that. And, and obviously, LeBron's goals were different. Right. So, um, you know, but I will I still argue with people when you want to talk about the greatest of all time. I can't like I'm not going to argue with you. Those uh, yeah. guys are awesome and yeah. they're great. But yeah. yeah, I don't I don't I don't partake in that argument right. anymore either. For the same reason. Um, okay, so I uh, w- want to wrap this up. Uh, I have two last things for you. One, I know this is a big question, uh, but what is it like producing events in the pandemic? So, yeah, wow. Um, I think we talked about this a little off air, but you know, the trend in the business was to be able to do more and more you know, from remote locations, so not on site but to be able to save some costs, have some feeds come back into a studio in a central location uh, and, and do the broadcast that way. And it was working really well for some of the lower tier shows, you know, four camera college basketball type shows, you know, some of your Olympic sports um, hadn't quite uh, touched prime time, you know, major network shows. Um, football was doing a little bit of it, but less shows. Then the pandemic struck and it's like you got into the Millennium Falcon and hit the light speed thing and jumped out on the other side. And all of a sudden, every show was doing it this way. It didn't yeah. matter whether you were in primetime, ESPN, you know, a major Fox show, doesn't matter. So I think the pandemic accelerated things um, just at a crazy light speed. So, you know, does that model work? I think they're proving that it does. Is it ideal? I think they're also proving that it's not. Um, but it, it is saving money and it's safer. There are less people traveling and, and all of that. Is it more difficult? Absolutely. You know, you talk to some talent says they absolutely love being home, that there is nothing better than sitting down to do the show from your house um, and then being able to get up and have a beer when you're done yeah. um, and not having to get up at you know 4 a.m. for a flight. Uh, and then there are some who say they absolutely cannot take the fact that they haven't met with people in person or gotten the vibe or, 
you know, anything uh, that you would get on site from doing a game. So um, I think it's difficult in a number of ways in that regard. I, I'm very much a people person. I love those relationships. I love walking onto the field at an SEC football game and just soaking in the crazy. So, you know, that's absent when you're doing it from a studio. Right. Uh, so it's, it's, a de- it's definitely a different way of doing things and the coordination between, you know, announcers being in different houses and different states and different time zones and, you know, couple of the producers have said to me, like, I can't even organize my calls. I've got people on every single time zone in, in the United States and nobody knows the right time. So yeah. silly things like that, that you would never have had to deal yeah. with because you would have been doing it on site altogether. Do you, I, it just this struck me because I, I, I flashed upon us doing, I think it was a playoff game in Detroit. And then uh, we decided we were staying up in, uh, what is it? Uh, Auburn Hills or yeah, Auburn Hills or what's the what's the really uh, ritzy? Uh, oh yeah, area. the one in um, uh, Birmingham. Birmingham, right? Yeah. and we're standing at the Townsend, I think there. Uh-huh. And then we all had flights early the next morning, so we took cars and stayed at the Westin, right inside the Detroit airport. The best, yeah. <laughs> Which yes, absolutely best because you just like you roll get out, up, roll, you into roll out, yep. <laughs> and onto the plane. Yep. Um. When was the first time that we worked together? Do you remember? Oh my gosh. No, I don't mean to divulge yeah. how long we've been doing this, but I it know. was a while yeah. ago. Yeah. I just, I, I was just trying to think of the first game that we were, because this, I don't know if you know this, but, and you probably could tell because I was so bad at it, but like putting me on as a sideline reporter mm-hmm. was so happenstance. And as I look back at it now, what I realized was, they were having uh, negotiating difficulties with Jim Gray at the time. Right. And they decided to just throw me literally into the fire, which ESPN does a lot of, right? Yep. But I'll never forget, like I did a, and I think it was a playoff game, pretty uh, maybe it was a regular season, but it was a game in Milwaukee, uh, which tells you how far down the totem pole I was in starting. (laughs) But um, but I I like I was used to doing studio stuff where you know you have a makeup person and you know da 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 and I think nope. that the 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 play by play and and color would would have that taken care of but as a sideline guy you were supposed to take care of all that by yourself I didn't <laughs> know that and so I'll never forget that first seeing that first clip of me like I it was like I had a grease fire on my <laughs> first of all I just parachuted in I didn't know what I was oh. doing. I was, you know, I, it was horrendous. And um, so I didn't know whether you were on that or not. I thought maybe that would like spark a memory. I don't think so. I would remember <laughs> that. And and I would never have let you go on the air without some makeup. I or, appreciate, you know, I appreciate that, that. I would never have allowed that. Yeah, so I was it like, couldn't have been me. wait a minute, I'm going on? Where's the, nobody's going to put any anti-shine on me? Like what? what? <laughs> can, I get oh. ta- can I get a towel? Here's my, yes, yeah, something. Anyway, um, last thing, the, the event or the production that you oversaw that was either a train wreck or the most extraordinary situation that people on air, like watching the event, had no idea 
the fire that you put out or the hurdle that you had to clear in that situation to to get that event on air or to make that thing happen? So I'll give you my funniest one because we've I've had a couple times where the truck is caught on fire and you know random things like that which are no fun yeah um but I would say my most favorite one of those was years and years and years ago with the Cubs and seven o'clock in the morning we've got a day game at Wrigley and I get a call to the boss hey um can you get over to the ballpark right now right now it's 7 a.m what what yeah well the truck's not there well, what do you mean the truck's not there? Well, we don't know where it is. What do you mean you don't know where it is? How you lose an 18-wheeler, like, truck? I, what are you talking about? Well, we don't know where it is. Can you just go there? I, I don't know what we're, I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do at the ballpark with no truck? But sure. So I drag myself out of bed. I rush over to the um, ballpark to see what's going on. And they're like, we don't know where the truck is. We can't find it. We can't. Nobody can even locate the driver. It was supposed to be coming from Milwaukee so it's to Chicago. It wasn't that far, you know. So they're like, we're going to bring in a little bread truck, which is a tiny little, barely capable of doing like a two-camera shoot truck. It's the only thing they could find. So I'm like, okay, we'll get it here. We'll get going. You know, we'll do whatever we can. This is for a game broadcast. This is for a game broadcast. Yes, this is for for a Cubs Saturday Cubs baseball game. So I'm like, well, we'll get it going. I'll, I'll get the graphics going in the studio. You know, uh, we'll figure out how to do graphics from back there. We'll cut the two cameras. You know, we'll have game and follow, and you'll get the pitch, and you'll get the ball, and that'll be it. But we'll get on the air. You know, I'll get some audio up to the booth for Harry Carey and Steve Stone, and, you know, we'll do our best. Right. So we are scrambling like nobody's business. And uh, I get a call, like, two hours later, and they're like, okay, they found the truck. And I'm like, all right. And they're like... It's um, it's in the clink. I go, it's in the what? They're like, it's been impounded because the driver was drunk and got pulled over on the way from Milwaukee to Chicago. <gasps> they threw him in jail and he's been sleeping it off so no one could reach him. And the truck is an impound. Wow. And so it's not coming. And I'm like, it's not coming. All right, no problem. So we're just, we move forward and we problem solve because that's what we do. Yeah. So we get it all going and... uh we're, we get everybody ready. We get, we're ready to come on the air. It's one o'clock. We come on the air. And the fir- if you're at home, the first thing you hear is, hey, everybody, you aren't going to believe what happened to us today. And Harry proceeds to tell everybody that the truck is stuck in the impound and the driver was drunk. And, the, and I'm like, Harry, Harry, no, nobody needs to hear this. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you just and and then I, you know then I get in Steve's ear. Can you clean that up? And yeah. Steve's like, well, folks, uh, today pitching is Greg Maddox, and he's going to do a great job for you. And I'm like, oh my god, just go to break. This is just horrific. Oh, that so is yeah. So, so good. if you tuned in, you got a good earful about where oh. our truck was and why the broadcast was going to be two cameras for three straight hours. I would love to see the video of that oh. game. I mean, you probably so that's bad. the last thing you want to see, but. Yeah, I would be fascinated, was, at least for a little bit. Like, get a little yeah. bit of it and just see how different it is. Well, just, just the open. Like, Harry yeah. is just a nightmare sometimes. Yeah. So, All right. That was well, the worst one. That does it for this episode of Buker and Friends with Mandy Cohen. Um, please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, let us know how we're doing. 
I have no idea how I'm going to follow this up in the next podcast. So usually I, this is the point where I preview what's coming. We will be a full week and a half into the NBA camps. And no doubt there's going to be some news going on. And we do need to get into, I don't think I've, I've talked yet about the, the Westbrook, uh, Russ Westbrook, John Wall uh, deal and the exchange there. But um, we'll, we'll get into some of the, uh, the NBA happenings in the next one. Uh, Mandy, thank you so much. Uh, I, th- I don't know if anybody out there found anything interesting at all about what we talked about, but it, I I loved it. So from a personal standpoint, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, I agree. I had a lovely time. And if nobody was interested, no problem. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, in the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.